It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. I'm Ellie Nieves, and I'm a woman's leadership speaker and coach. Welcome to the Christian Career Women Podcast. If you're a Christian woman who wants to honor God, live with purpose, be known for excellence and integrity, and achieve work-life balance, then this podcast is for you. At Christian Career Women, our goal is to help you aspire, achieve, and thrive in your faith, life, and work. To learn more and to join our free online community, go to ChristianCareerWomen.com. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm Ellie Nieves, and I am a leadership speaker and coach, and I am here with the Christian Career Women Network. It is our pleasure to come to you today with the second Bible study in our series on finding contentment. And today we're going to be talking about being content in our relationships. If you want to know more about the Christian Career Women Network, you can go to our website at christiancareerwomen.com. It is our goal to help women who, uh, who are women of faith to aspire, achieve, and thrive in their careers and in their personal lives. And before we begin our Bible study today, we have a very special treat. We've got a very talented young woman. Her name is Katie Dawson, who is a beautiful singer. Uh, she performed uh, not too long ago at uh, my church at Calvary, Ch Calvary Chapel of the Hudson Valley. And uh, just uh, recently, she wrote a beautiful song that she is going to perform for us today. So Katie, I'm going to turn it over to you. Great. Thank you. With one body in mind, with those who were far off, now be unified. We've robbed ourselves of joy, on many we've closed doors. We've declared ourselves judged and forgot how to love. Sister, why does it have to be one or the other? We're part of the same body, so why are we fighting against ourselves? We are dividing our one flesh. The enemy has divided. To divide, he will steal, rob, and hurt, and we 
don't realize He's robbed us of our joy Our relationship seems destroyed Our effectiveness feels void Until the body's torn Sister, brother Finally they have to be And Katie, can you introduce yourself to uh, the women in our Bible study? Just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. My name is Katie Dawson. I live in upstate New York. I am 27, and I've been a follower of Jesus since I was about four years old. So um, really just love the Word of God, love that I get to share music, and thankful to be a part of this today. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Katie. You've really blessed us. And I think that the message of the song uh, really is going to strike a chord with our conversation today because we're talking today about being content in our relationships. And the lyrics of your song are about us being unified, uh, about us being sisters. And I think it's going to strike a chord with uh, the people that are, are participating in our Bible study today. So thank you so much. I think it's really uh, going to go hand in hand with what we're sharing today. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. So we've got a panel of women who are joining us for our Bible study today, and I would love it if each of them were to introduce themselves. So Crystal, Vondell, and Naomi, please take the floor and tell us a little bit about yourselves before we start our talk. Go ahead, ladies. You go first. I'll, I'll wait on you. <laughs> <laughs> Naomi, let's start with you. How's that? That works. <laughs> Hi, ladies. I'm, this is my first time on here. I'm really excited. A little bit about myself. I'm a mom of two beautiful um, daughters, 18 and 20, and I'm a grandma of a one-year-old. I know what you're all thinking. Yes, I look young. But, <laughs> um, and honestly, um, it's, I have them all under one roof, and it's been a joy. And I live in North Carolina. And I know Ellie for a very, 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 very long time. Very long, very time. long time. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm happy to be here. Crystal Vondell? Hi, Vondell. I'll let you go, girl. 
Sure. Hi, everyone. My name is Bondel. I am from Belleville, Illinois, a little town outside of St. Louis, Missouri. Um, a little bit about myself. I'm a strategy and brand associate focus on content creation, video production. Um, on the side, I enjoy filmmaking and event planning, um, and I lend strategy to artists and creatives through my fiscally sponsored nonprofit, Torch. Um, in New York, I attend C3NYC, that's the church I go to in Brooklyn, um, where I've served in leadership roles in Bible study. So I'm really excited to join Ellie's Bible study. She's my mentor. I met her my freshman year in college, and I was annoyingly following up with her every quarter um, and nurturing that relationship. Eight years later, here we are. Um, I'm an alumni of Howard University, where I graduated from the School of Business um, studying marketing. Awesome. Very awesome. I'm Crystal. I am a mom and a wife. I have two boys. One is a type one diabetic. Um, so you'll hear a lot of beeping in the background. That's just his meters going off. Um, I don't know. I, I think I just, I think I do it all. I don't know. <laughs> like, I uh, social media marketer. Yes, I do marketing. Um, right now I'm working with a med spa and a few other clients. Um, I help my husband with his mold company. He has a mold remediation company. Um, I do a, every morning I have a very large growing group of women um, that we share our gratitude list every day. And if anybody needs prayer, we include that in there. Like, you know, hey, I just need prayer for my sanity during this quarantine. You know, it's there. <laughs> um, I go to church with Ellie at Calvary. And before that, we were at, I went to Valley. And I think that's it. I'm learning new things all throughout this quarantine. Like, how to do my nails? No. <laughs> Girl, I did it. I bought the whole thing. I did it all. I did this. I did my gel toes. I did it all. Okay, and, that, and that's and come out like a that we're going to schedule just so that uh, Crystal can put us up. <laughs> and I love skincare. Everything skincare, girl. I love everything skincare. I'm trying to look healthy and youngness. <laughs> okay, so we're going to get started with our chat. And today, as I mentioned, we're talking about being content in our relationships. And we're going to start with a quote by Linda Dillo, who's the author of the book that we're using as our guide. So if you haven't read the book, if you don't have the book, it's perfectly fine. It's just a guide that we're using. But the quote says, much of our discontent is created as we interact and interrelate with one another. Do you guys have any early thoughts on this particular quote from a sentence. Um, I just read it as like a general statement of um, interaction being an energy exchange. So we connect with others. If we're discontent, it's likely created based off of an energy exchange that we've had with someone, um, either we've given a negative energy or receive negative energy and that transfer kind of dis dictates um our level of contentment with one another broadly mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it reminded me that a lot of the time when we're upset, we're usually upset with someone, right? It's not usually a thing. Sometimes we are upset at things, but usually a lot of the discontent that we feel in life is because of the way we're interacting with people in our lives and the people that we're surrounded with. Uh, it could be, you know, our husbands, it could be our children, it could be relatives. But a lot of the reason that we're discontent in our lives is because of these interpersonal relationships that we engage in. And then I, I just want to give everybody that's listening in as well as our panelists an opportunity to self-reflect and just to think about the relationships that you're currently in and ask yourself if you are 100% at peace with the meaningful people in your life, like your husband, your children, your roommate, your coworkers, family, and friends. And I can uh, tell you that as I self-reflected on this, I feel like I'm 99.9% .9 at peace <laughs> with most people in my life. Uh, I can tell you that there was probably a time when I wasn't 100% at peace. I know that when I first got married, in particular, I wasn't at peace uh, with my husband. Uh, I think a lot of it had to do with what I was expecting as a young wife, as a, as a, as a new bride. Uh, so I knew back then I, I wasn't 100% at peace. Um, and there's probably uh, maybe one other person that I can think of that was in my life that I feel like I'm at peace with, but the relationship is no longer what it used to be. And perhaps that's why I'm at peace now. And I'm happy to even talk about that later on as we continue our discussion. But I, I think that I'm at peace now in that relationship because I no longer have that person um, actively participating in my life. But that doesn't mean that that won't change later on. Any, anything you guys want to share about um, your existing relationships? I think biggest thing is um, expectations and anything you do kills any relationship because you put them on, you put any relationship that you have, you put it in this little box and you imagine all these things. And then if it's not the way it turns out, then you're major let down, you know? Um, I know, and I spoke to my husband about it, so I'm allowed to tell you guys. <laughs> um, I know for many, many years, I had this great big expectation of my husband to be like this man who was Superman, basically, and it's just unrealistic, you know? Like, I expected him to be able to build things because my dad did, and to me, a man is somebody that could build, and my husband was a banker, you know? He was not a builder. Um, so I expected, you know, just these huge expectations of stupid, unrealistic things that honestly only God could give, do it all. And I was expecting it from a man that he's human. He's not, you know, um, I expected it from, I expected him to be the best dad when he didn't have a dad. He didn't have a family like that. You know, he was, he was brought up by his grandmother and then his mom moved him up to upstate from the Bronx and his grandmother wasn't around as much anymore and neither was his mom. So he was kind of on his own for a very long time. And yet I still expected him to have, to, to be a family man and a leader of a family when he didn't know what a family was. It was just him, you know? 
Um, so I think a lot of those things, expectations kill it. You know, if, if friendships, I, I think is the same thing. If I expect something from a friend, um, you know, I, if I do something for a friend, I can't expect the same thing in return. You know, if I do it, I got to do it because of God. I'm not doing it because I want you to do something back for me. I think that's something I've learned along the lines as well. You know, I can't expect when I'm down and sick because I would bring you soup or I would bring you something, you know, medicine, or I would call and check on you and see how you're doing. If a friend doesn't do that in return, I can't get upset because that's not who they are. Now, on the other hand, if you don't do nothing as my friend, then it's time to go. You know, it's got to be a give and take love kind of thing. Um, I think finding the, the happy medium of expectations and standards are, are big. And when you do, do for God. Don't do for the person. Right, right, right. And um, that just goes right into the next quote from Linda, which is, much of our discontent and lack of peace comes from our expectations in our relationships. Mm -hmm. And I think you're right, Crystal. I mean, we've got tons of expectations about the people in our lives and even uh, expectations about our bosses, our coworkers. Uh, I, I know when I first, uh, when I first came into the workforce, I had this idea that my boss needed to be perfect, right? My boss needed to be nurturing. My boss needed to be the perfect mentor. My boss needed to be the person that would uh, speak truth to power. My boss needed to be somebody who was secure and confident. Uh, my boss needed to plan out my career trajectory for me. I had all these expectations of what my boss was supposed to do for me. And then I became a boss. <laughs> and I learned that working with people can be difficult. Uh, working with people is not just about managing their work product. You're actually managing them and their personal issues as well, because personal issues often get in the way of people performing well at work. And it, you almost become a mini psychologist in some regards. And everyone has different capabilities and abilities. And some people perform higher than other people. And you have to be able to manage that and be able to know how to balance the workload, knowing that you've got different personalities and different people on your team. So I realized that I wasn't superhuman. I was doing the best that I could. And I wasn't always excelling in the boss area. And it gave me a lot of sympathy for other bosses. Right, for other managers and understanding that it is a huge responsibility when you manage an organization and you have people working under you. And it gave me a great deal of sympathy. And also for people that aren't necessarily trained up to hold that kind of role, but we still expect them, once they get promoted, we expect them to have all these qualities. But if they weren't trained to have those skills, once they get into that role, they're gonna be at a disadvantage. Uh, but we often come to the workplace with a lot of these expectations and we fall short of those expectations. Do you guys mm -hmm. have, have any, any thoughts about expectations, Naomi or Wanda? Um, yeah, I actually do. I have a senior in high school um, and I have a lot of expectations for her. Um, you know, because I already have one that's in college. So of course I expect her to do the same thing, make my life easy. And <laughs> knowing that, you know, and she brought it into perspective. She said, Mom, you know, I love you, but you got to understand that I am listening to you. 
but I need to do things the way I know how to do it. And I'm expecting her to do something the way I know how to do it versus teaching her or showing her that this is, you know, the way to do it and then let her do it at her own pace. Mm-hmm. Um, thank goodness she filled out all her applications. It just, we're at the end of the school year, but she did it. <laughs> but I, you know, I, my expectations for her, I set the bar higher than then she really couldn't meet it at the time. And, um, you know, it just took some guidance, but yeah, it, it was difficult. It was difficult, but um, it's a learning experience. Mm-hmm. You know, I just learned to listen to her more and just um, take the time and realize that, you know, she is telling me what, what she needs help with. And, um, and we were able to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great point. Mm-hmm. So another self-reflection question is, what are some of the expectations that we have in our relationships? And we've shared some now, but I pose the same question to uh, our uh, participants who have tuned in and are also following along in our discussion. This is a great question to ask yourself. What are some of the expectations that you currently have in your own relationships? So another quote from the book is, I must be willing to overlook imperfection as Jesus did. If I insist on perfection or nothing, I'll end up with nothing. I must be willing to forgive. And if you long to be content, so must you. Unless we do, our anxious hearts will not be calmed. Do you guys have any first impressions listening to this quote? I think for me, um, I think from on my end, it's something that I've been walking through the expectations. And before I start like dropping names, I did ask everybody before I did. Um, but I have a family member who is a, um, he's a heroin addict. It's, it is what, it, that's his, you know, demon that he battles. Um, and I've always been his savior and I expected from myself beyond, you know, expecting from other people, I expected from myself to, because I'm the godly one and I'm the Christian and I got to be there for him. Um, I had to, to drill God into him and, and, and be like the savior almost. Um, you know, both my parents had heart attacks within two years apart and the expectation they had on me brought my expectation of myself up higher. Um, you know, because I'm, I'm drill Sergeant Crystal to to my family. So, um, and I make sure everything is lined up exactly how it is. Meals are planned, things are done. And the expectation that they were going to take care of things and they were going to listen to what I was saying grew. So now I'm in a different area and I'm like, all right, well, the heroin addict, that's your battle. That's your demon. I'm going to pray for you. My parents, I'll be there when I got to be there, but I, it, it gets draining on trying to be everything to everybody all the time. And then you almost kind of feel lonely in the end. Mm-hmm. So um, as far as I, every day I wake up, I have to pray, no expectations. Standards, I, I try to set standards and realistic goals for my relationships with anybody and anything doesn't matter if it's work doesn't matter if it's my parents um you know my brother my sister 
well, my nephews are too, too young, but eventually it'll be them. My kids who still drive me absolutely nuts and I can't, there's no kind of help for that one. But, um, you know, I think my marriage got so much better after the expectations stopped. My, all my, the, the relationship that I have with all my work people in general, um, the, there's no expectations, but there are standards and boundaries. And I think that helps a lot. And I think once I took the expectations off of myself and like leaned more into God, I think it, it just became healthier. And it's a battle I battle every day. Like I mm -hmm. have to stop expecting people to know what I'm thinking before, you know, mm -hmm. I even say anything mm -hmm. or expecting some, I'm going to use Ellie as my, my, whatever, but expecting Ellie to call me when she knows I'm going through something, but I think she knows she, I'm going through it, but she probably don't even know I'm going through anything. Not that I am. I'm just using that as an example, <laughs> but, um, you know, I think that's, yeah. that's, you make such great points, right? The expectations that we have of ourselves and then the contributions that we make to other people's lives. And we believe that because we've made that contribution that they're, it just creates another expectation that we're supposed to get something back in return or that that person is supposed to take our contribution to them and make something of it. Right. We make this huge investment of our time, our effort and our energy. And we're like, okay, we're making an investment. Now we need to see the return. You know, you need to now act on everything that I've done for you. And that's not necessarily the case. And that's a huge burden for us to carry, but it is a burden that we often take on for ourselves and definitely something that, causes a lot of anxiety in our hearts and doesn't give us the peace that we need, the peace that God calls us to, to have. Do you guys have, have any other thoughts? Um, just to piggyback on what Crystal said. Thank you, Crystal. Um, I love the fact that you said you were willing, it's almost like you were willing to forgive yourself for not being perfect to be there for your relative. And I think that's so important because, you know, you can't expect everything to be perfect. There's no way. I know even at my own job, I try to do things perfect. And I notice that I'm working twice as hard <laughs> ending up with nothing, <laughs> just like it says right there. But um, yeah, we just forgive ourselves because things will happen. We don't have to be perfect all the time. And we need to be content in how things are sometimes because that is, you know, God's will. That's how he ordained it to be. So I appreciate that. Thank you. So forgiveness is, is really key in us finding contentment in our relationships. And uh, what we've got here is uh, just a little snippet of Matthew 26 that tells the story of Jesus when he knew that it, his time was coming and he went to pray and he had this vivid picture of what was about to come, right? He knew what, was, what, what lay ahead for him and he tried to give his disciples an idea, but they didn't really understand. And he was so filled with anxiety that he was crying, he was praying, he was sweating blood, according to the Bible. And he asked his disciples to stay up and pray with him, yet they couldn't stay up and pray. They just kept falling asleep. And he grew frustrated with them. And can you imagine if you know that your death is about to come and all you want your friends to do is to stay up and pray for you and they can't even manage to do that? 
So in that moment, if you can imagine, Jesus probably felt betrayed, alone, uh, frustrated, angry with his friends. These are the people that he had been fostering a long-term relationship with. He was training them up. He was mentoring them. He was preparing them because he knew that when he left, that they would be left to carry the cross. And here they couldn't even stay up a little longer, you know, so that they could pray with him. How do you guys think you would feel if you were in a similar situation? I'd be smacking everybody. (laughs) That is why Jesus is Jesus, because I would be really smacking people like, y'all, I pray for you every day. I know I'm about to die, and I know I'm coming back. You think I'm coming back to do anything for you? No. Get up. Oh, I would be. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> get up. I would. I would be knocking on people's doors. I'd be shaking people. Mm-mm. Ice cold water. You're praying with me. I know I'm dying and I'm coming back. And y'all are going to want me to forgive you? Get up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, no. it's funny. It's funny, Crystal, because you're making a joke and it's funny. But how many times when we get angry at someone, do we not react and respond that way? right? In real life, we get really upset. We get really angry when we feel betrayed, when we Mm -hmm. feel like someone's not there for us. You know, depending on how we're wired, we might even be confrontational, right? Which is what you're saying. And sometimes that's how we approach people, right? If, If that's how we're wired. And it's in those moments, not only do we have to stop and tell ourselves, is this the appropriate way to respond in a situation like that? And then also, you know, the, the, the phrase that was hip several years ago, right? Which was, what would Jesus do? Yes. Right? What would Jesus do? So in this situation, he didn't smack people up. He didn't do that. <laughs> but what he did do was he said, come, let's go. Right? He knew that they couldn't stay awake. He kind of called them out on it. He wasn't, I know he was, he was upset and he was angry. He didn't hit anybody. But he did call them out on it. Can't you, can't you just stay up a little longer while I ask you to pray? Right? While I'm praying? And then at the end, he was like, you know what? Come on, guys, let's go, right? Because he was prepared. He had spent all that time praying, committing himself to the Lord. And he said, you know, now I'm ready. Let's go. And he took his friends with him. So despite the fact that they couldn't stay awake, he still considered them part of his band, his tribe. And as he was moving into this really arduous situation that he was about to step into, he still brought them with him. So really interesting, right? Because in his heart, he must have been forgiving them, even though in their humanity, they couldn't stay awake. And the question is, if we feel like we're in a situation where we've been betrayed, uh, will we say the same thing? Will we still look at our friends? Will we still look at our family members and still say, you know what? You've betrayed me, but let's go. Let's still be together. I'm going to overlook this offense. And we're still going to stay banded together. And I think in our humanity, that can be a very challenging thing to do. Uh, But it is something that we're called to do if we really do want to imitate Jesus. And here we are following Christ's example, right? It says, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. So I think in everything, even though it's challenging for us personally, uh, we do need to follow Christ's example. And it's mostly difficult for us in relationships when we have to overlook someone's offense or when we have to uh, overlook something that they've done to us that can be very hurtful. 
Do you guys have any thoughts about following Jesus's example or how, you know, is that easy for you? Is it hard for you? What do you guys think? Go ahead, Vondell. Uh, you can, it's, it's, oh, I see on Vondell's face. It's like, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> Go ahead, girl. See it. Very interesting example that hits home for me more recently than I would have expected. Um, something that even as you were speaking, I was like, wow, I received that. Um, <laughs> so did Jesus. Uh, so just recently, I mean, I've been in social isolation um, for about a month now. Um, my roommates left, um, went home or is staying with family during, during the quarantine time, but I decided to stay here with my dog and recently had started experiencing like heavy anxiety at night, right? Where just incomprehensible fear. And I've never had um, issues sleeping before, but recently had just had a, a really difficult time sleeping. And then it was like beyond insomnia um, and became like a crippling fear that I couldn't place. Um, and so I had recently reached out to a friend like, hey, like, I know social isolation is happening and I understand all that's going on, but I think I really need someone to like come here. I have different rooms in the apartment. We can still be like apart, but I really like, I think I need to be around people. Like, <laughs> and in the beginning of this whole period, I was thriving, like, oh my gosh, being by myself was incredible and anybody who 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 knows me knows that I'm a naturally extroverted person but like I was really thriving in isolation because it was like it felt like a needed pause and I think after a certain point I was like wait no girl you're an extrovert and you need people and like this is starting to get to you um so it's funny because this is probably a moment in my life where I was being stretched in a area that I hadn't been before an area that is called like you need people um an area that i've never really thought would be tapped into because i've been independent all my life um and i've never really felt comfortable reaching out to somebody saying i need help but in this moment i did i was like this is it like i need someone to come here and granted it was like really really late like it was like two in the morning and i couldn't go to sleep and i needed help um and i reached out to two people one person um was like they were receptive and listening but basically said that they would like check in the next day and the other person actually came right so I had somebody get out of their bed and like at showed up at my door at like 3 a.m she came and like didn't ask too many questions and like just sat with me till I went to sleep the other person though right like I'm like in the back of my head I'm like all right <laughs> You know, I got some some thoughts for you, you know? <laughs> Interesting. The next day, I had a great day, um, woke up. It was, this is really recent. It was Easter. Now that I'm thinking, it was like Easter Sunday. I woke up, great day, went to church virtually, um, got outside, walked my dog, everything like that. Um, and then the following day, um, my friend reached out to me and was like, 
hey, do you want to like take a walk, social distance while? I'm like, okay. And during the walk, started opening up about challenges that they were having. And like in the back of my head, like I was recalling, you know, just recently reaching out to them in distress and not feeling like I was being helped. But in that moment on our walk, I was pouring into them life and just giving them you know, the, the support that they needed. So like, it's interesting that this example came up because it was like in my head, as you were talking about the example, I was like, yeah, I could have just been like, forget this person and like disregarded their concerns um, in the moment. But in reality, I, I know them as a part of my tribe and like still lended myself or extended myself to them, even though that wasn't the case when it came to me. I say that Although to say like, I think while there is an element of like acting like Jesus and, and, and following that example, I do think that there are important times in our lives where we have to, we have to determine whether or not we're supposed to kind of reposition, retrain, or kind of like retain a current relationship. And I do think as a part of like healthy relationships, sometimes you know, certain things, like certain expectations or standards that you set, and I do like that Crystal kind of like made a distinction between those two, like standards versus expectations, whereas like standards, I would say, are things that you have communicated, as like these are set kind of expectations that I have or standards for myself that will help our relationships, whereas expectations are more so assumed and maybe not as communicated therefore troublesome. Um, but to the extent you've set a standard for your relationships and have communicated that as such, like if people aren't respectful of that, like, or if people aren't effectively managing expectations, then it could be cause for reposition in a relationship. It could be cause for, you know, you to take a look at your circle and kind of figure out what is what and I don't know I'm still learning like when to take that approach but I do think that that is a part of this thing called life where we kind of grow and develop with people and sometimes without people too like there are phases in life um so I know that was really long-winded but it was just like it hit home for me um and I, I was just digesting that as a, a very tangible example of this yeah. Thank you for sharing. That was that was a great example. Thank you. That was awesome. So another quote from Linda Dillo is, uh, for the Christian, forgiveness is not an option. Jesus commanded us to forgive. He modeled forgiveness for us. Failure to forgive not only wounds our Savior, but it destroys us. A lack of forgiveness causes the bitterness plant to take root in our hearts. I was really struck by this quote because it's, you know, bitterness is one of those things that sneaks in there. If you don't check your heart on a regular basis and it's really easy to hold on to things of the past, things that happened to you, hold a grudge towards someone, but God really wants us to release those things. And I think we have a misunderstanding of what forgiveness is. Because I don't think forgiveness means that, okay, I let it go and now we can go back to being best friends. 
Forgiveness could mean that you let it go and that you never talk to that person ever again. But not talking to that person ever again doesn't mean that you didn't forgive, right? So you can't, you can't swipe one for the other because forgiveness is really a work of the heart and of the mind. And that's a process that you have to go through. It's not just, okay, I'm just going to cut this relationship off and then that, you know, it, it, or, or you're going to fake a friendship when your heart's not really in it either. That's also not forgiveness. So I think we have to come to a, a firm understanding of what forgiveness is and understand how it relates to us holding on to grudges and holding bitterness in our hearts. Do you guys have any thoughts on that? I do. Um, <clears throat> you know, when I think about, you know, forgiveness, um, uh, I'll share this. Uh, I don't know. I didn't talk to him, but I'm recently divorced. <laughs> and, um, you know, being married for a very long time, I was married for almost 20 years. Uh, I held a lot of bitterness um, from that relationship where um, we couldn't even communicate, and um, which made it really bad for everyone around us. Um, so I had to learn to forgive him, but also forgive myself for holding that bitterness. And I had to learn that, let that go, to hold in bondage, um, all those feelings. Um, so now that I was able to forgive him, and forgive myself for that. Um, you know, I notice that I feel free, and I and I feel at peace with everything. I'm actually in a better place because I forgive. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. Don't do it now. I am going to. I'm trying to mute Crystal because she's clearly having a conversation with somebody, but I can't find her on my screen. <laughs> but anyway, so um, here we've got uh, an example from the Bible where it says, and Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. And clearly Peter thought that he was being noble by saying seven times. He's like seven times, like it's a big deal. And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Um, this particular scripture always, you know, reminds me uh, that we can't just think that, you know, once or twice is enough because I think our forgiveness or my forgiveness, I won't speak for anybody else. My forgiveness often has limits. Right. So after the second or the third time, I'm like, okay, that's it. <laughs> but Jesus, if I'm going to follow his example, I can't have a limit to my forgiveness. My forgiveness is supposed to be basically, according to Jesus, a bottomless pit. I have to continue to renew my spirit, renew my heart so that I can continue to forgive. And this is an ongoing process. And this is why I think things like studying the Bible regularly and going to God in prayer regularly. These, this, is, this is when this comes in really handy and why we need to do it continually. So whenever we talk about having quiet time, going to God, reading the Bible, praying, you know, we talk about it continuously in every single situation that we get into. Are you reading the Bible? Are you praying? Because God is preparing us when we do that for the battles in life. And this is one of those battles, right? When someone does something to us and we have to get to a place where we're going to be able to forgive. 
and then the person does it again and then we got to come back and forgive again and the person might do it again and we might come back and forgive again and don't get me wrong i don't think that this means that we have to become a doormat for someone i don't think that this is that this is saying that at all uh we, we god still expects us to have a level of self-respect but it does mean that we have to continue to forgive people i think crystal said something really important when she said that we need to establish firm boundaries in relationships that's godly to have boundaries and when we establish those firm boundaries then we're able to also forgive in a healthy way and maintain a healthy relationship any any comments there's a there's a comment here from Jesenia. she says that she describes bitterness, and I think she's talking about the author that below, as a prison, and there is no better description because it binds us up. I agree. A great example. I think we also have to forgive ourselves for things that we allow, you know, not not to sound like God saying to be selfish and, and forgive yourself for everything, but I think forgiving ourselves for allowing certain things is huge and i also think forgiving forgiving just means you're not holding that burden and, and holding that anger or that hurt anymore you're letting that go and letting god handle it you know i think forgive and forget are two different things and people put that as one and it's not you know you can forgive somebody and accept who they are like i have to forgive you know my family member that's a heroin addict i have to forgive him doesn't mean i and i have to accept that he has a demon and i i have to accept that he is who he is and i can't um you know i for a long time there was like a a connection that him and i had and i pleaded with god to let that connection go because i couldn't i couldn't bear it anymore um but it was only he would only respond to me he wouldn't respond to any anybody else in the family he wouldn't respond to anything and i was the toughest one on him like everybody else was like oh you need money and they'll put up a fight with him but they'd still give in oh you need this the only thing i would ever do was make sure he was he had food water and a blanket or you know something to keep him warm outside of that you ain't got nothing and i was the only one that he would respond to in the time of like serious crisis you know um there were times that i would get mad at him he was to get real personal but like he was ready to jump off of a bridge he was literally on the bridge and i had this gut-wrenching feeling of something was happening and i called him i called him so much back to back to back to back to back that he finally answered and he was like you have no idea what i'm doing right now and i said well whatever you're doing get off of it and get down and go you need help and he and i would send him a bible verse every single day and because he was a big he was real big in sports he thought me sending bible verses every day was like me wishing death on him but fool on you you ended up in a um rehab where there's nothing but christians and actually the catholic thing but uh, <laughs> he found god and like now he preaches to me so it's just you know i think forgiving ourselves for allowing so many things to happen and forgiving others even though i don't like the person he is i forgive him there's a huge boundary between us and big difference and he's not allowed around my kids he's not allowed in my house 
but I still love him and I'm still there for him to a certain point. I'm not going to keep allowing things anymore. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, I think forgiveness goes both ways, both ways. Yeah. And I agree about that. I, I, I shared uh, during the last Bible study on contentment that the reason I came to Christ was because I didn't have balance in terms of my career, but then also that I had found myself in, in a bad relationship and that bad relationship, um, you know, was uh, torturous for me for a long time. And I told it was like full of shame for so long that it took me a while to get one, get rid of the shame. But I think that shame was tied to me forgiving myself for getting into that situation in the first place. And I held on to that for years on end. I mean, it was like, and I couldn't let it go. And it wasn't until one day at church, there was a, a, a visiting pastor and he preached this wonderful message. And I remember uh, responding to the altar call and then finally feeling like the shame had been lifted. But we can carry all kinds of shame for behavior that we've engaged in in the past, relationships that we've been in, things that we've done, and we carry these things with us, and then it's hard to forgive ourselves. But God doesn't want us to carry that burden. And I, I used the example during the last Bible study of Paul, right? Paul, here he was preaching the gospel, but he was a persecutor of Christians and a murderer. And here he became, you know, this, this person who I mean, look, we, we quote him all the time, right? Like he, he wrote like in the Bible, uh, you know, Paul is like, you know, he wasn't a disciple, but he was an apostle, you know, like he, he was, he was somebody who was powerful and has made a name for himself, right? In, in all of Christianity and in, in the kingdom of God. Uh, but I'm sure that he dealt with the guilt, right? Of, of what he did and the lifestyle that he lived prior to becoming a Christian. But yet it was that very thing that actually made him more powerful as a Christian. And just similar to my situation, I'm like, as much as I hated um, being in that relationship and maybe, um, uh, you know, finding myself becoming a Christian as a result of it, the two things were inextricably tied to each other. So as much as I hated the situation, I needed to also thank God because it's what brought me to God. And being a Christian is what's changed and transformed my entire life. So I had to come to that realization where I had to forgive myself and even thank God for something that I considered very ugly in my life. So here we go again about letting go of resentment. And in the scripture in Hebrews 12, verse 15, it says, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. I love this because it shows and it demonstrates that not only does having a bitter root in our heart impact us, but it says here that there's an impact outside of us. It says that it will defile many. It causes trouble and it defiles many. And it reminds me there's one person in, in my life that is extremely bitter. And it's interesting because this, this person wasn't bitter before. <laughs> and as a result, the person has grown increasingly bitter over time to the point where it's not even pleasant to have a regular conversation with the person. And if you know anyone who's bitter and who's full of resentment, you just don't want to be around that person. The person is full of negative energy. You just don't, you, you know, so the person has become increasingly more isolated over time, but then they're also angry because they're isolated. Why doesn't anybody call them anymore? Why is nobody inviting me out anymore? It's like, it's a bad spiral. It just turns into this bad spiral. 
Um, and the person has caused a lot of trouble for themselves. And as a result, nobody wants to be around this person anymore. So I, I have witnessed what bitterness can do to someone's heart. And it just reminds me that it's something that I have to continue to monitor in myself that I don't allow that to happen to myself as well. Do you guys have any thoughts or comments? I think that letting go and let God handle it and keep your distance from, from exactly like the people that you said, but you also got to check yourself and make sure you're not that person too. Absolutely. You know, sometimes like, you know, we can, we don't always realize it, but we can be those, those ugly people sometimes on the inside. You know, I, there's days that I wake up and I'm cranky and I got to warn everybody in my house. Like, don't talk to me today. Don't look at me today. And I find myself in quarantine right now. There are some times like I'm getting tired of looking at that bathroom and the other bathroom and I'm tired of yelling at my kids about putting down the toilet seat or I'm tired, you know, like there's just things that I'm like, after a while I start being like getting the twitches because I'm like, this is it, you know, but I got to check myself too. I got to stop being so angry with everybody. It's, it's not, it's a me thing. It's not a them thing. It's my issue with everybody. It's my issue that I'm finding and picking more issues from, you know, it's a lot of, um, it's really let go and let God yeah. I mean, that's like my number one, let go and let God, whatever. Yeah. And that's, and that could be a challenge. That could definitely be a challenge. That's why we got to pray the second those eyes open, you God, please have a handle on today, have a handle on my mood, have a handle on everything and guide my head, my heart, my body, my mind, my spirit, my everything. Cause Lord, woo. Yep, 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 yep. That's why I think this scripture is so key. And actually, this is a compilation of scriptures. And I've got the citation here. So if anybody wants to look these scriptures up, but it says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Mm. So I think that what probably challenges people the most is the first word in this compilation of scriptures, which is love. Love must be sincere. Um, I think when we hear this word love, we automatically think that we're supposed to have these feelings towards people. Right, like love your enemies. Like that's always it sounds like an oxymoron. Love your enemies. It's like, well, how am I supposed to love somebody who does wrong towards me, who wishes bad towards me? But the way we think about love in the world is very different than how the Bible defines love. Because in the world, we think it is a feeling. We have to have these warm, fuzzy feelings towards people. The Bible in no moment talks about us having warm, fuzzy feelings towards anybody. The Bible says that love is this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with its actions, its 
uh, a state of being towards someone, not a feeling that we feel towards anyone. What do you guys think about this definition of love? I see it more as love as an action, more so than a feeling. Um, it's really how we should how we should be in our everyday lives. We should always be kind. We need to be patient, not proud. You know, it's not easily angered. So it's, it's almost like um, a list, <laughs> for lack of better terms, on, on how we should be towards others. Mm -hmm. And that is, the, that is the definition of love. So I like that. Absolutely. And I think that's where we get challenged because we just want to have those warm, fuzzy feelings. But again, that's not what it is. You just hit it on the nail. It's how we should be towards others. And if we engage in these behaviors towards others, right, this is the beginning of what those interpersonal relationships are supposed to look like. So I'll just go back to the original scripture. You know, love must be sincere. So even though we're talking about uh, these behaviors that we're supposed to engage in, right, according to the biblical definition of love, those behaviors also need to be sincere. So it's not just, oh, let me just behave this way because that's what the Bible tells me to do. But inside, I'm still angry, I'm resentful, not that. Not only are you supposed to behave that way, but you also have to get your heart to a place where you're doing it sincerely. And for me, the, what's helped me to develop that level of sincerity, because in my humanity, it can be very difficult to love uh, certain people in my life. What's gotten me to that place is remembering that this is something that Jesus is asking of me, uh, that I'm doing it because if the Lord has asked me to do it, but I know that the Lord knows better than I do. So if he's asking me to do it, then I'm going to obey him. I'm going to do it out of obedience to him, not because I feel whether this person deserves it or not. Because I think as we uh, grow in our, in our walk, with Christ, we often uh, go through places where we're measuring up to things or measuring people. Like, oh, does this person deserve this? Do they not deserve it? Uh, but that's not for us to decide, right? God just calls us to behave a certain way. And if we're looking to please him, then we will behave in that way because we want to please him, not because we feel like other people are deserving. And that could be extremely challenging. Okay, I guess not. So we'll move on. So the next uh, slide um, is about peace, because if you look at that first compilation, it says, uh, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So our goal should be to always have a level of peace with everyone. Uh, so we shouldn't have, we shouldn't be in a situation where we're uh, in the middle of strife with anyone, right? To whatever extent it depends on us. And what this reminds me of is that a relationship requires a two-way interaction. So I can seek to be at peace with you, but if you don't want to be at peace with me, am I still being held responsible for the relationship going south? Well, it says here, as far as it depends on me. So I have to make the best effort. If the other person chooses to not make the best effort, then that's on them and they're responsible. But my goal should always be to be at peace with everyone. And then the scripture here where it says, turn from evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. 
a few years ago when I ran into the scripture, it left a real deep impact for me because it reminded me that it says seek peace and pursue it. It means I need to be proactive about chasing it. I need to look for it. I need to go after peace. Oftentimes we think that peace is something that's going to come to us when a circumstance in our life changes. Like, well, when this person goes away, then I'll be at peace. Oh, when I win the lotto, I'm going to be at peace. Oh, when I get my divorce, I'm going to be at peace. Oh, when my kids finally move out of the house, I'm going to be at peace. Oh, you know, we've got all these lists of when that thing, we're supposed to seek it and we're supposed to pursue it. And I love that word pursue because when it says pursue, it makes me think of, you know, somebody chasing, right? I'm supposed to chase after the peace. I'm supposed to look for it. Um, so this is, this to me has been a powerful scripture in my life. And it reminds me that I need to proactively seek peace. Do you guys have any thoughts? I think peace is very difficult to find, <laughs> but I think that's another part of every day. When you wake up, you pray, God, be my peace, be it bring you know find a way there's times that um you know i'm i try to not be quick to anger or try try to realize that not everybody thinks like me so like in my head why are you walking so slow across the doggone street when i just let you walk across you should be picking up the speed here you know but i gotta find that peace in me and be like all right people God be with you and I got to pray for the other person <laughs> and then I got to pray for myself because you know I need peace I need peace within mm -hmm. I think I think finding peace is like truly a, a daily prayer because there's never a way that you are just going to have peace there's never a way that you're just going to be like okay no problem <laughs> we all deal with stress whether it's health money people in our lives whatever it is I think as long as you find I think as long as you continue to pray every day honestly it's a it's a battle you know between you and God you and not you and God but it's just like something that you constantly have to search in God and I think that's something that God wants from us like you know the, the way it was broken down like for a long time I didn't understand the relationship with God I didn't understand that like that's my best friend he's my best friend he's literally he knows here he knows what i'm thinking you know as long as i'm keep out the curses and and like you know he already knows like i could be like god what were you why what you know and like it's okay so i've learned that god is my best friend and if i rely on him just like you know you relied on your mama or your grandmama or whoever it was that raised you that you didn't have to ask for food your breakfast lunch and dinner was right there you didn't have to think about your your meals it was already planned out for you that's god so i just have to look to god and be like all right god what's the deal i can't i feel some sort of way right now i need you god and you know i just rely on him and i know that that peace is coming from him because i ain't got no peace in me it's all god Mm -hmm. at the end of every day at the end of every moment it's mm -hmm. god absolutely and it's like you know scripture in philippians it tells us that you know as long as we continue to pray to him and give thanksgiving that you know we're going to get that peace that transcends all understanding so even when we're going through difficult times he's going to give us that peace of mind and we're going to wonder well, why do we feel this way even though there's chaos all around us and it's because we've dedicated ourselves to him you know we pray to him 
we seek him out. And then that's when we get that peace that also comes along. Awesome. And I, you know, I alluded uh, earlier to uh, finding peace and even leaving a, um, a relationship. I wanted to just talk about that because I think sometimes we uh, find ourselves in certain situations uh, in relationships and we don't know whether to maintain the relationship or to let it go. And there was uh, one relationship that I uh, was in for quite some time. And for a, a long time, we had a, a, a beautiful friendship. And it lasted for a long time. And then I don't know what happened. I got to be honest with you, I don't know what happened. There just seemed to be some strife in the relationship. And uh, I would address it with the person. I'm one of those people that likes to, I don't want, I'll use the word confront slightly, but if I see that there's an issue, I like to call the person and speak to them directly about the situation. And I felt like I'd had a conversation with the person two or three times. And I felt like each time we had a conversation, we had come to a place of uh, reconciliation where we both understood each other. And there seemed to be a lot of misunderstanding. I would say things and somehow the person would take what I was saying and kind of spin it in another direction. There was, so, so there was always uh, me kind of correcting how she, how this person was misunderstanding what I was sharing. And there was a lot of that, uh, but I still wanted to keep pouring into this person's life. I felt like we had several years of friendship and I wanted to keep building on that. But for some reason, the relationship just kept spinning out of control. And I got to the point where the person was now involving other people and it was starting to become unpleasant because now this person is involving other people that don't need to be a part of the situation. And again, I, I, I went to the person, I'm like, why are you involving these other people? If there's a situation, why can't we talk about this together? So eventually um, I ended up getting diagnosed with cancer and I felt like the person started calling me because they needed to kind of check something off on their list. Like, oh, I'm supposed to be a good friend. So I'm going to, I'm going to give Ellie a call So the person, you know, here I am already stressed. I'm going through my stuff and this person calls me and then says something like, um, oh, I know you've got a lot going on. I don't really have a lot of time. Uh, and I was like, why did you call me? Why did you? <laughs> why are you calling me? I, I didn't need you to call me in this situation. If you don't have time, then don't call me. Meanwhile, I had a bunch of other friends who were like, whatever you need at any time of the day, you tell me what you need. I'm going to be there. And I wasn't at peace. And I, it was just very frustrating that I was already going through this and I have this person calling me to tell me they don't have time for me. It just, it just seemed really bizarre. So I told the person, I just don't think right now that this is a good thing. We were, we were going through a rocky patch and it's probably not a good thing for us to maintain a relationship right now because it's, I'm not feeling at peace with this right now. So that was kind of um, the end of that situation. Um, it's taken me a little while to let go of the resentment because I was resentful for a little while. But I came to a place where I, I don't hold any resentment anymore to the point where I can honestly say that I've prayed for the person, I pray for that person's family. I have uh, also come to a place where when I do think about that person, I actually have happy memories of the times that we shared together uh, as friends. And I pray that if God were to open a door again for us to uh, come together, my, my heart is open to that now. But I realized, as I mentioned before, that we both have to be in that place. It can't just be that I'm there, but that person also has to be in a place where they're going to have an open heart. And I have enough faith in God because the last two years, it's been so interesting how 
I've had a number of uh, reconciled relationships just kind of out of the blue. And uh, to the point where there was somebody that um, several years ago I had a really bad strife with and all of a sudden this person and I were going out for you know, dinner and the person was coming to my home and I'm like, I would have never imagined that this person and I were going to develop, you know, we're gonna have a friendship. So my heart is open, it's soft now. Um, I trust that God will create an avenue. And, and I think that that's the place that we all have to get to where, where our hearts are soft, where we are uh, open to the possibilities. Uh, but again, uh, at that time, peace for me meant that that person was not going to be in my life during a time that I was going through stuff. And sometimes we have to make those decisions. Uh, that peace means actually telling someone, not now, maybe later, right now is not a good time for us to be uh, in cahoots with each other or be in a friendship or be in a relationship with each other. Any, any thoughts before I move forward? Okay. So here's our last, uh, our last slide for the Bible study. And it's uh, one last quote from the book. And it talks about relationship choices because we all make choices in relationships. And it says, we can't control others. Husbands, children, friends, roommates, coworkers, relatives. We can't make choices for others, only for ourselves. We can trust God and we can control ourselves. We can do our part to pursue peace in relationships, and that brings contentment. Amen. Amen. So thank you, everyone, for uh, logging on. It's been a real blessing. I am going to turn off the recording here, and then I will um, open up the line in case people want to chat. Thank you, everyone, for logging on to the Bible study. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.